Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. Get ready to rumble! Oh, no, that was terrible. This is Revolting with Steve Lynn Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 65, How the Magic Happens. If you don't like bad words, immature nonsense, tomfoolery, rapscallionism, shenanigans, uh... Oh, there was some other stuff. Uh, this podcast isn't for you. Let me repeat. If you don't like any of the aforementioned nonsense, this podcast isn't for you. Even if we temporarily discuss things that are serious and we don't swear much, there's stup- stupidity and profanity coming. We promise. Take a hike. Uh, welcome to the 65th episode of the Revolting Podcast. I'm Steve yeah. I'm Robot. I had to double check for a second. <laughs> I said the right name. Ooh, starting out with a bang. Uh, good morning. It is the beginning of February still. And, um, and we're back at it. We are. What are we doing today? Um... Well, we're going to talk about the creative process and what grand artists we are with sweeping visions and um uh hidden genius that the world is yet to discover we're going to talk about that how fun for us (laughs) (laughs) and everyone and everyone but first (laughs) and foremostly we're going to talk about we're going to do music picks yeah music picks uh, again, and I've said this the last couple of episodes, we have a compilation after repeated browbeating on behalf of, like, I don't know, twos or threes of people. <laughs> um, we finally yeah. put a compiled list of all of the bands we've mentioned over the uh, months, fi- 15 months, 18 months. We've been doing this for a while now. Yep. Um, and they can all be found on All Hail the Black Market. There's a little sidebar pop-up banner ad on the right-hand side of the homepage uh, that's got a link that will take you to a post that has every almost every band we've mentioned over the course of this ex- Probably experiment. Probably most of them. Most yeah, most of them. I know that we mentioned plosives a number of times, but I'll be damned if I could find the episodes when they were the official pick. So it's like one, two, and then there's a giant blank spot, and then it starts at thirteen, I think. Suffice to say, plosives was both of our number one pick for all of last year. Is that true? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, my buddy Danny Buzzard. Before I think they had barely released the first single or maybe they had just mentioned there was just there was they were just rumored to be a band these four people 
who are all notable San Diego sort of legendary rock and roll musicians. Uh, and Danny, before the first note was even heard by the public, he claimed it was going to be the album of the year. And it was, uh, it was a banger. I loved it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great record. It's a great record, and there's a lot of great songs on it. When I listen to it now, a bunch of great songs play, and I'm like, wow, this record's good. But, oh, wait, there's four more songs. It's actually not an abbreviated effort. No, no. And everything is good. I mean, that's that's the that's the crazy thing is that everything on it is good. There's not a dud in the bunch, not a dud in the bunch. Also, before we go forward, I want to mention that this podcast is available on Spotify. Oh, officially. Well, yeah, because I put it there. There's one episode. Uh, I looked. There was one episode. No, there are five or six now. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's legitimately there when I remember to put it there on a Monday morning, which now that I say that, I didn't do it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> There's, uh, I've long contended that, you know, the key to success is if, if the key to success is being in the right place at the right time, then it is as as a as a person who's striving for some degree of said success you have to try to position yourself in as many places at once as possible oh yeah and um as as little as i have any sort of as little relationship as i have with spotify and as sort of skeptical as i am of them as an enterprise um i mean what the fuck you know we're we're not there and we're not making any money or we, or we are there and we're not making any money. You know, it's, uh, the exposure is not terrible and it's, you know, it's just another way to hopefully if somebody out there, uh, likes the cut of our jibs and they don't know about this podcast, they can find us there that, you know, better for us. I well, suppose. I, I think a bunch of our listeners have very generously gone to other places to find us when they might, when they listen to all their other podcasts on Spotify. So I think it's good for us to be there. Although one thing I, res- I, uh, I share all of your skepticism about, you know, uh, the exploitative nature of corporate media. However, when I go on the interface to upload uh, our pearls of wisdom to Spotify, they at least have the decency to, ha- to they give you this little dashboard that's like number of episodes, number of listens. And then it says money. And it says zero dollars. And I'm like, you know, I appreciate you just owning that. (laughs) Because everyone else is like, geez, how do you make money on these things? (laughs) I'm so I just I'm so in the dark about how all this stuff works. It's it's a trip that I mean, it's just I'm I'm in the dark on on a lot of things. But, you know, making a living is up, up there. If you're in the dark, then I'm certainly in a very advanced dusk. <laughs> that's where I live. I couldn't be doing um, this on my own. That's for certain. Like, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what we're doing. I just, you know, like I, you, you've kind of pointed me in the direction and I do this stuff, but like how I got here or how any of this stuff happens, I have, I have no idea. Yeah, uh, I guess that makes me the um, podcast's chief engineer. Mm-hmm. Nice work. <laughs> I, I just, I, I just, I just, uh, I'm the voice. I'm just the. You guy. are. You're the. 
You're the talent. I think that's what they call it in the media business. You're the talent. <laughs> uh, talent they also with, call it that in the porn business. Talent with b- broken technology. There's uh, so Patrick has kind of gotten on me and said, "Stop messing with your table, or stop t- tapping things, or stop touching things," because there's just like rapid fire popping that happens sometimes. It sounds like I'm leaning back in some kind of big creaky easy chair, uh, which I'm not. I'm not touching anything, and now I'm so paranoid about like I don't want to move my head or move my body too quickly because I might be shorting something in my headphones. Or I mean, this entire operation is barely put together with duct tape and good wishes paper clips and seagull guano mm-hmm. yeah uh, i can attest to the fact that you are a um uh, a very conscientious uh, podcaster we do have some sort of mechanical issue uh, some sort of crackling thing that happens uh, i think of it as a feature and a benefit <laughs> and whatever yeah, so maybe it is me sitting back in a, bi- a big leather easy chair. And Having been to your home, I know that you don't own an easy chair. I do. That's tr- you, not true. I do. I have that one, that one chair. I have a chair. That chair looks a little difficult to me. No, it's not, not that easy. It's nice. It's, is it? Is it? It's a hand-me-down. I don't know where it came from, but it's a white, you know, like kind of like a white leather easy chair, like lounge chair with the ottoman footstool thing and perhaps i missed it because i was gaping at your wide array of recovery apparatuses <laughs> yeah all of that was sitting it's it's it lives generally on the floor first distraction was giant record collection second distraction was geez foam roller i mean like such an array of this, um, put this, me back together, Humpty Dumpty <laughs> shit you have there. This motherfucker is straight broken. He is broke. Everything except crutches. It's got, it's a, it's a mess. I'm a Humpty Dumpty, man. I own crutches. I, and I own such, uh, also an array of, um, slings and wrist braces that mm. when other people hurt themselves, they're like, Hey, do you have a <laughs> left-handed whatever? And I'm like, yep. Yeah. Yes, I do. My friends, when my friend Sonia crashed her bike last fall, uh, I had one of those recirculating ice cooler things. You know, it's like a cuff oh. um, that it plugs into a cooler and it's got a little pump and it's, you know, it's like the, it's like those big ice boots that all the fancy pants pro bike racers wear. That's advanced gear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it beats an ice pad or an ice pack. Uh, and I had yeah. that after my knee surgery. And then I've got these really bitching ergonomic crutches with these sort of like pistol grips and suspended slings for under your armpits and stuff. They're really, really baller shit. And um, and so I those were the only two items I kept after knee surgery and have them shipped up here for Sonia. So, um, you know, I don't plan on ever needing any of uh, the, any of that stuff again, but it's it's. You know, we uh, we live a rough and tumble existence and we have a bunch of rough and tumble friends. And like you said, somebody is bound to need some either one of those things at some point. So when you have time, go to KnievelPhysicalTherapy.com. <laughs> Make an appointment. Oh, boy. It's uh, that's you know, it's just the, it's the detritus of a active and accident prone yes. existence. Yes. So yes, uh, it's all worth it. Music, music picks. I was scrambling this morning 
because uh, I woke up at six and then I don't know. And then all of a sudden it was eight thirty five. And and I was just like, what the fuck? And like throwing everything all akimbo into the closet so I could sit down and get cracking. But I do have one. I just don't know very much about it. So all I'm going to do is say the name, a backstory, the label that it's on. And I can't even tell you if it's any good or not. Oh, you can't even tell if it's good. It's it's, all right. It's good. I mean, you know, it takes it takes me a while. I can't listen to something one time having never heard it and say, I absolutely love this or I absolutely do not love this. Well, let's let's slap it on the counter and have a look at it and we'll see what we can do. It's uh, so you're familiar with the Canadian uh, sort of noise punk band called Mets. Oh, yes. Yes. Mets is great. And so there's this side project. I don't know how many people are in this side project. Uh, I know what you're going to pick. I love this record. Yeah, I've been I I got it and I haven't I got sidetracked with other music and I've only listened to it a couple of times. It's it's interesting. It's good, but it isn't it's not the kind of thing you can just put on and like have background have in the background. I feel like this is worthy of like pretty concentrated uh, uh, or focused consideration, let's say. Um, it's okay. called uh, Weird Nightmare. Yes. And I don't, yeah, I don't, okay, actually, I, I lied. I don't know what the record's called, but it, they only have one. Oh, it's called Weird Nightmare. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I've listened to, really, I've listened to it, I think, twice. And it got buried I, underneath all this other music that showed up that I was really excited, you know, like that uh, Corrosion of Conformity Deliverance, which I referenced two weeks ago, and uh, Death Magnetic, which I referenced last week. And so uh, all this other stuff that I got really like keyed up on uh, was being played and I, didn't, I, haven't given, I haven't revisited it. Well, this is funny. I have listened to that Weird Nightmare record several times. It is self-titled, I believe. Weird Nightmare by Weird Nightmare. Um, It's it's good. It's like, um, so it's the guy from Mets, as you said, and it's like he was like, well, we're Mets. We don't write catchy songs, uh, but I'll put all the catchy ones aside for another project, and that's what Weird Nightmare is. Hmm. Okay. Well, I I view I view Weird Nightmare as like a mix between Mets and whoever wrote that Stacy's mom has got it going on song. Shut up. Really? I <laughs> I've not picked up on any of it. I really got to get back to this cuz I, you know, I love I love books. I love catchy rock music. I love it. I love it. It's the it's the best. And I didn't I didn't pick up on that uh, upon the first two listenings at all. So, well, it's hilarious to me that you picked it because I so typically I send Steve the notes for the podcast and they will have my music pick in them already. I had Weird Nightmare as my pick like a month ago and then I picked something else instead and then I erased it from the notes. And uh but I'm really glad that you are picking it now because I had wanted to talk about it. I also want to say that this music pick thing has just a lot like the would you rathers. It has taken on a life of its own where I now have cheat sheets stashed around the house (laughs) with records that I could mention because 
<laughs> because the there are one billion great records that have been made in history that you could direct people to. But in the moment, if you're asked to name one, it's almost impossible. And my mem- I have the memory of a fruit fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like to um, I like to have things like right in the front of my head when we start talking about it, because I'm I'm familiar with all the music or, you know, most of the music that I have in my collection. And so um, it, I would like for it to be something that I'm, you know, it's almost like there's a there's like a flavor, like a taste. Like I still have the taste in my mouth when we begin talking about it. And that makes it easier for me to like, it's almost like I'm listening to it while I'm talking about it. And because this morning was, went a little bit off the rails for me and getting prepared, I was like, I was holding my laptop sort of talking with you while I was flipping through my records and also texting, like <laughs> sitting, like writing notes on my phone. Trying not to trip over your collection <laughs> of foam rollers. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, this morning it was, this morning's pick is a, a little, it's a little tender for me just cause I don't really uh, know. You don't really know, but you're going to love that record when you listen to it more. Also, I had a phone call this week from my friend, Brian, who is a TV news reporter in New Jersey. He's an avid surfer. He was, we were in a band together in college. He's a TV news guy who does weird stories. Is he, he does su- weird. Is he super handsome? I mean, I find him very handsome. I bet he is. News reporters are always handsome. No, he's not that kind of news reporter. He's never in the studio ever. He only does work from the field. They're also handsome. Well, I mean, as I say, I think I find him very handsome and very compelling. But he called me this week to give me some feedback. What, what he said was he listened to the podcast about being alone and he wanted he wanted to chime in with some thoughts and feelings. Oh, far out. OK, which was really nice uh, because I had no idea, actually, that he listened to the podcast. And maybe that's the only one he's ever listened to. I don't know. That's not the point. Um, he then said that the would you rather came on and within 45 seconds, he was like, fuck this and turned it off. (laughs) So there's that. But then I want to follow that up by saying, I, Brian, if you're listening to this one, um, I think weird nightmare is right up your alley as far as records go. Cause I think that's a good one for you. Uh, um, and I'll tell you in advance that I don't think that today's would you rather is going to turn you off so badly. So stick with us. But now I will pivot to my music pick, uh, which is Wires Pink Flag album. Oh, that's a that's a that's a throwback. It's an all time banger. Is that, uh, that in came my mind, out, that's like 1988 or something that came out. No, really, it's 1977. Oh, 1988, I suppose, was probably when I first heard it. Or maybe it was, maybe it was, uh, there was a punk rock show for, on KGNU in Boulder, which is a college station that they, they used to play from 10 to midnight on Saturdays called Smash It Up. And I started listening to that when I was in seventh grade or eighth grade. That was when I first heard that. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's like people got into a time machine, went back, recorded that record and then came back here because it's, it's yeah. unlike anything else that was happening at the time. They call it post-punk 
But I'm like, in 1977, punk was still punk just. They was just punk. Figuring itself out. <laughs> How do you make a post-punk record when punk punk's not over? Uh, it's a great record. I didn't hear it until late 80s, maybe even early 90s, and I, I heard it and I was like, uh, oh, this is the original version of One Two XU, famously covered by Minor Threat. And it's on that record, Pink Flag, but also the song X Lion Tamer, which is one, which is just one of the best songs ever, X Lion Tamer. And the other thing I'll say about this record is it was made in 1977, but if it came out this year, you'd be like, oh yeah. Isn't that fun to find, like, I love revisiting music that I was at one point familiar with. But I didn't have a mm. I didn't have a real broad perspective or point of reference. And in yes. the twenty-five or thirty years since I listened to some of this stuff regularly, I've listened to all of this other music and heard all these other bands and then will like go back and revisit some some old stuff and be like, Oh my god, this sounds like this is where all of these guys came from. This is where all you know, like I yeah. listen to now I listen to the helicopters and I hear all kinds of Joe Jackson influence. Or I listen to Urge Overkill and I listen and I hear all kinds of Kiss influence. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like nothing is, nothing is, exists in a vacuum. Like everything's been influenced by, by everything. And then you, and then you find a band like that and you're like, oh, what, what were they, what were they influenced by? Or, or a real good one was like, I listened to a lot of the birthday party when I was really young, like yeah. 13, 14. And it was just too much. Like, I didn't get it. It was good, but like, I didn't get it. And then, you know, in the years, years later, I got into scratch acid and then I got into the Jesus lizard. And then I went back and listened to the birthday party. And I was like, holy fuck, that that's all it was. Like, that's all that, you know, scratch acid was the birthday party just 15 years later. It's yeah. super fun. I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And this this record, Pink Flag, if you've not heard it, you will go back and listen to it and you'll be like, 1977, that must mean... And then you'll realize that almost everyone you loved in the 80s and 90s had worshipped this record previously. Mm-hmm. That's a good so, That's a good pick. Quality, quality pick uh, for thanks. both of us. I was, I was reluctant to go back all the way back to the 70s because no I like to sort of keep it so current much, for people so much cool stuff mm-hmm. so much cool there's just so much cool stuff it doesn't even matter we don't doesn't eras matter. genres none of it we don't we shouldn't stick to any of these uh 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 you know what's the word we shouldn't stick. we just go we go we go berserk we can do whatever we want to do this is our show we can just do whatever we want uh, i like that um speaking of take, what we want do we want to take a break right now we do. One of us will say something great, and then okay. we'll come back. Sweet. Yeah. Hi, it's Robot. By this point in the podcast, you're all in. You're going the distance. Not all your life choices are the best, but that's okay. None of us is perfect. Here's where I lay it on the line. We're going to entertain you for an hour. We'll do it again next week. In a month, we're going to give you four hours of belly laughs and deep, deep thoughts. All we need from you is a $3 a month subscription to the Cycling Independent. Three bucks, a cup of coffee, a really cheap beer. You've, you've got that money, and, w- and we need it. 
If you've got more, there are $5 and $10 subscriptions, but we're not pushing. We're not pleading. That $3 would help plenty. And now, back to whatever inane nonsense we were talking about before. We're back. We're back. Uh, what's this episode about? What a about? poignant message that was. Probably. Hand, and yeah. ha- hat in hand, on bended knee. Whatever. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Please th- give us your money. This Please episode, give me your money, sir. This episode is about the creative process. Uh, Robot and I both do things that don't pay well. Uh, given the choice to do something else, even hypothetically, we would both probably just stick to doing what we do. And this is absolutely true. Uh, today, we're going to talk about why and specifically what about the process of our work feels like the right thing for us. Um, and this is, I mean, it, for me, it's like, it's like asking a fish why they don't, you know, why you don't, why don't you swim upside down? Like that's just, it's just nature. Like this is what I've always done. Um, I think it's a real shame. I know that I talked about a Twitter feed that I saw at one point where somebody asked hypothetically, if you could do anything, what would you do? And it was hundreds. I didn't even get through them all. It was hundreds and hundreds of responses where people were just saying that they would, uh, you know, like, oh, I'm an account manager, but I would really love to do ceramics. I'd love to be a writer. I'd love to do floral arrangements. I'd love to, like, I think it's human nature to engage in creative endeavors. I just think that's how we're built, but we can't because I don't, I don't know. We just, we live in a, we live in a sort of a damaged reality that forces us into doing things that we don't, we want to be, we're kid like kids, whimsy, ch- ch- childlike whimsy. You give a kid a, a shoe box and some crayons and they're going to lose their shit. That's how we're built. <laughs> It fucking sucks that, you know, that we don't, we don't foster this. We don't nurture this. And I just, when you said that, I envisioned, you said a a shoebox and some crayons and they lose their shit. And then I was thinking like adults get a a newspaper delivered to their door already. But what if every day someone slid through your mail slot, like a coloring page and some crayons. And that's just what you did while you drank your coffee in the morning. Um, during COVID, I mean, not, I mean, not during COVID, during the sort of the peak of, of COVID, my ex was, uh, spending a lot of time with coloring books and I actually got my dad a really involved, like detailed coloring book and some nice colored pencils just to like quiet the voices, you know, and he really, he really liked that. It's, you know, like people, because I, I contend that anybody can, anybody can draw, you know, people that's always say like, Oh, I, you know, I can't draw a stick figure or whatever, but you've got eyes, you've got a hand. It's a matter of like, some people are naturally inclined to convey what they see to their hand, either what they see in front of them or what they see in their head to their hand. Some people maybe don't have a natural inclination, but it's something that can be learned. And, and, and so, you know, I encourage anybody just the bare minimum, just, just draw, just doodle, you know, like carry a sketchbook, take notes, jot down. Like you see a weird little bush, just to do your best to render the weird little bush. It's a practice, you know, you're not good at anything right out of the gate. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I will tell you, and I'm sure you feel this too. I'm sure you've got sketch sketchbooks, millions of sketchbooks to prove it, or you burned them. Um, but I've written so many bad sentences, mm -hmm. uh, in my history of write, I've written so many bad ones and I'm sure that I'll write more bad ones. Um, for, for me, um, as a writer, I find like actually, and I do see the value in sketching and doing those things also. Just well, that's clear, just, that's just an example. Cause I mostly engage in visual art, but whatever the fuck, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. What I was going to say is that I, I have this almost pathological relationship with words. Like every morning I get up and I do the New York times crossword puzzle, like a dork. And part of that is that my mom and I talk about the <laughs> crossword puzzle, but like, so I, I do word stuff just nonstop. And I have this problem where if I see a particularly good phrase, it gets stuck in my head and just repeats over and over and over and over again. Uh -huh. Um, and I also have this habit while I'm talking to people of like reworking their sentences or like repeating in my mind the f a good phrase that they might have just said. So for me, writing is almost like I have to just let that shit out of my head. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know whether the results are good or not. That's probably not for me to say. Sometimes I guess they're good and sometimes they're not. But just from a. Uh, being a live point of view, I got to do that. It just works better for me. And I can force myself to do other jobs. I have forced myself to do other jobs and I can do them, but. <sighs> it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't make you happy. And, and, and then there's going to be people who are like, well, you know, I just had this conversation with my parents, my mom, I used to, it, it, working was such a sham, you know, like I've had to have, I've had a job since I, was legally allowed to work. And I, I had jobs before I was legally allowed to work. You know, it's like, you got to shovel snow, you got to cut wood, you got to, you know, help maintain the home. And so I was like manual labor and working for whatever it is, cleaning the house, whatever. Like I've always known, like that was just part of, that was like paying rent basically. And then when I was 14 or 15, I got my first job and then I've worked in some form or fashion ever since. And it just seemed like such it seemed like such a raw deal. And my mom would say, well, it's, you know, it's just a necessary evil. Like you got to work so that you can make money so that you can afford to live. And I'm saying an hour of my life that I will never get back again is fucking worth more than $7. <laughs> you know, like, like, let's really look at this practically. It's not the, it's not the labor that I'm doing. I'm trading my my existence for a paycheck and that is just horrible. That's horrible. Nobody should do that. And but you but you have to. You know, you have to compromise. You have to go and and my dad was like, "Oh, geez, I just never really thought about it that way." I'm like <laughs> <laughs> that, that sucks or or it means that you really loved your career. You know? And, and they did, they were both teachers and they both were great teachers. Um, you know, and there weren't, it wasn't without its frustrations, but I just, I just could never justify, I could never wrap my mind around every nine to five I've ever had 
it was just infuriating to me. And I would find the good things and I would, you know, somehow justify it or I would turn it into a game where I at least took care of myself in some way. Like, there, fuckers, you got eight hours of my life. You got nine hours of my life. In exchange, I got $120 or whatever. Fucking great. So now I'm going to absolutely maximize the shit out of every bit of free time I have. And I'm going to be impossibly selfish with it. And, you know, that also causes <laughs> problems for people around me because I don't want to like, no, I don't want to do stuff I don't want to do. I just won't. I just won't. I like the idea of you as you know, they talk about the labor movement and labor leaders who are involved in the labor movement. I like uh, the idea of you as a non labor leader. <coughs> That's perfect. Jimmy Hoffa, the la the union guy who and yeah. the, the non labor and Che or not Che, uh, 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 Chavez. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. You're up there. I think you, I think, I think, um, those guys were missing a trick. So Cesar Chavez. Yeah. I, it's, this is, this is just the cross I bear. You know, it's really like Sisyphean. It's a Sisyphean effort. Cause, cause this is, this is our society and it's built around trading your life for a living. And that's what the fucking irony in that, you know, you're making a living, right. but you're not living. I'm sure I'm not the first person to make that observation. No. Fuck. Uh, but maybe. It's unfair. So It is. Uh, so I invented, I invented my own job. And, you know, I, the compromise is that uh, I don't have savings. And, you know, uh, I work for myself and there's tons of freedom and it's great. But I'll never be able to retire. And my dad also said, he said, do you, ever, do you have any regrets? I said, it's, it's too late for that for, for one thing. And, uh, I can't, I couldn't do anything else. All I've ever wanted to do is make stuff. All I ever wanted to do is draw and paint and write and all this other shit that nobody cares about. <laughs> that's not, that's not really accurate. Some people care, just not the right ones, but let me, let me, uh, try to get this car back on the road. Um, as much as I'm enjoying uh, what we're what we're doing, uh, how do you describe your work, and what to you is gratifying about it? Um, uh, visual stuff or written stuff yeah. or what? Yeah, any of it. Uh, the do you, th you think of yourself as a visual, a maker of visual art, a maker of visual things? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the term artist has always kind of made me bristle. Uh, I like, you know, like I'm, I called myself a picture maker for a long time, which is also sort of mm. stupid. I just I, I like draw, I like drawing and painting. And I was a printmaking major in college. And I realized that I could go on to get my master's in printmaking. And then with the master's and all of the debt that that would incur, I probably would just end up teaching, which I didn't want to do. Um, you know, like a, a fine art degree might be one of the worthless, most worthless degrees one could one could get or pursue i can i can top that but go on <laughs> uh, 
And so the visual work, I don't know, the the written like the written stuff I do, I I would refer to that as sort of like uh conversational or conversational or observational uh prose. I guess I do I've really in the in the 13 years that I've been a a professional writer now, uh I I love I've learned that I really love sort of the visual aspect of a written a, 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 a well-written sentence uh, a, a funny uh, observation that has sort of the you've mentioned there's a term for this um it's a shakespearean term where it's basically like the cadence of a sentence mm. and how if you listen to like a like a good comedian there's this build-up and it's a transition and there's the punchline of course there's the punchline you know uh, with any knock knock joke or, or anything, but it's there's there's something really beautiful about the build up and the crescendo, and then it's and then there's this release, and I love that. That's something that I've I've become really fascinated with with the written word and visual shit is just it's just it's just drawings, figurative. I don't know what did I say? It was like uh, maybe the stuff that people would be doing like the German expressionists or the new objectivity movement would be doing had they grown up in Oakland in the nineties. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I love that niche. Uh, that's like a whole new school. <laughs> I mean, I loved, I loved, I loved the, the, the idea, the theory, the, the motivation of the German expressionists. I loved their work before I even knew what it was i subscribed to the ideology before i knew that it was an ideology mm. it was just an ideology developed in the late 80s and early 90s you know but it was like sort of turning my back on things that had come before and i'm going to do this and i'm going to use you know like humorous political perspective and and so social observation and all of this stuff and and so it just sort of turned into uh, what I do, but I didn't have any idea that I was standing on the shoulders of somebody else who'd already done it uh, and better, arguably. You know, I once wrote uh, the novel The Old Man in the Sea, and I didn't realize that it had already been written. <laughs> <laughs> I invented communism. I, I had no idea. I was in third grade, and I like basically described communism, and my sister was like, oh, yeah, that, that actually already, already exists. See, ah, I know, <laughs> but uh, sorry, I interrupt. Um, no, not at all. Uh, I, I was thinking while you were talking just now about something else entirely. No, I was thinking while you were talking just then about writing and the construction that you do a thing that I also do obsessively where you take a common way of expressing something and you fuck with it. Like, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, like you might, someone might say, "Oh, hey, how's it hanging?" Which is a, a d stupid way to say "How are you?" But you might take "How's it hanging" and fuck with it and say it a different way that is both not boring and stupid, but also funny. And I think that whole like fucking with uh, the it, every one of us. So I've noticed recently when I've been writing that um, new writing software all has predictive text in it, right? Mm -hmm. Where I they're think, like, oh, think, you're yeah. going to say these next four words. 
um, and you can just press tab and those will all show up. And I think to myself, no, don't predict what I'm going to say. And it's not always. I'm going to fuck with it. It's not always right either, because I mean, even if you if you like text somebody, it's going to put apostrophes in places that there shouldn't be. And I just brought up this. I, I just brought up there was an example. I saw something that somebody had written and I I actually emailed them. And or I sent them a message and I was like, this is grammatically uh, incorrect, actually. And they said, well, this is what the, the, the software said. And I said, it's wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm not right. being I'm not being pompous and I'm not being I'm not being arrogant here. It is it's incorrect. And I'm just as one, uh, you know, struggling writer to another struggling writer. I want you to present your product as professionally as you can and you can't trust the software. So I just found this. It's this company called, uh, we are the peace and they have a t-shirt, a man wearing a t-shirt that says equal rights for others. Doesn't mean less rights for you. It's not pie. It's a beautiful yeah. expression, but sure. it's fewer rights. And I'm like, you fucking people, you like wrote this thing in and I'm sure that it said less or somebody just said, well, this is the, this is the, um, this is the expression that I want to, or the idea that I want to express. And they said, yeah, do it. And now that now they have a website and they're selling shirts and it just makes my fucking skin crawl. <laughs> and I'm sure that they put it into some Grammarly or something. And it said this was right because, you know, software is not infallible. Is that the word? Uh, no, software. Well, software is uh, just as dumb as we are because we made it. We made and it. And I think. But this gets to the to what I'm trying to say is that we have all of these automatic thoughts and ideas. And and I think a good writer and you do this well, is that you take a phrase that someone expects you to say and you fuck with it, which causes them to actually think about the phrase while, rather than just processing it automatically. Hmm. Um, well, and that, that, that's I think, not intentional. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's in your nature. I think it's in your nature to fuck with things in that way. And I think that that is exactly the right path. Um, just the way uh, in your visual work, I think you fuck with anatomy in a way that is we all recognize the bodies as bodies, but they don't look right. And that makes us think about them differently. Um, it's really, this, it's, I didn't mean to do like a deep dive on your work. I'm just, no, it's, I appreciate it. And I don't want this to turn into like, you know, like some big mutual, like admiration wank. society yes. or whatever. But, uh, right. Um, I think, you know, when, uh, p people expect, you know, like for example, you you show somebody a you know a, a figure drawing, and people maybe the uninitiated would say, "Oh, well, that doesn't look like me." Well, it's not. It's not. It's not an exact representation of you. You know, this is like a gestural drawing. This is a gestural sketch. It, well, that doesn't look like a hand. It doesn't look like a boat. It's not like e either. Everybody wants photorealism, or they yeah. or they don't or they don't understand it. But in art education isn't. You know, it's not high on the list of priorities in in America at all, <laughs> you know, beyond. Well, I mean, not I mean, I don't even know if art class is even elective anymore in public schools. My kid is taking art electives now. Great. I'm glad. Which that, is good. I'm glad <sighs> that that still exists it, because it also teaches 
critical thinking and constructive criticism and all of these things that we are so sorely lacking in, in every, uh, every aspect of today, you, you know, it's okay. Yes. And how to be constructively critical. That's, that's a, that's an art form unto itself. And nobody knows how to do that. I want to go back to the statement that uh, the theoretical statement that someone said that doesn't look like a boat. Uh huh. The answer to that is obviously, well, then how the fuck did you know what to call it? <laughs> well, I don't, I just, I'm just, you know, shooting for random no, vague examples. Uh, no, but I think that that's exactly the point that people could might, people will identify a thing and say, but that doesn't look like this or that doesn't sound like this. Well, then how did you know what to say that it didn't sound like? That's a good point. What is, so anyway. you, uh, for what, what do you do? Wait, so you like, I kind of, I think I kind of answered question one. What? So I'll ask you, Hey, robot, (laughs) (laughs) what do you do? How do you describe Uh, your work? And what is gratifying for you about what you do and how you do it? I'm just a fucking writer. I'm just a fucking writer. Um, and I can, I enjoy writing words. That's it. That's it. Like it's that dumb. Uh, and that simple. And I've written a lot of things like I write, I wrote a press release the other day for money. Somebody asked me to do that. So I did that. And, and I even enjoy in a way, press release is a really good challenge because it's boring. So you have to make it not boring. Right. And there are subtle things that you want to get across. It's a short thing, so it's got to be packed full of meaning. So I really, I really enjoy. I look at that shit as like a puzzle. Uh, but I'm just a writer. I'm just a writer. I just want to share my thoughts and ideas with people, and I want to fuck with words all day. And that's just what I do and what I like. You're like a word sculptor. Yeah, that's being real nice. Um, I tell you what, I'm not which is a graphic designer, which I proved to you the other day. <laughs> uh, so backstory, our friend Bob, uh, well, I don't even really know what's going on, but there's sort of going, it's going to be like an independent publication, but just like a little zine, like a short run. Yeah. We're making a cool magazine. We're making a cool magazine. And um, Bob asked me for a written piece, which I am absolutely dying by a thousand paper cuts to get done. Uh, it's like, I sit down, I crack my knuckles, here we go, and I write a sentence, and then I leave, and then I go on to other things, and that's kind of how this piece is coming together, but I also submitted an ad, and then uh, Bob asked Robot to do an ad for Revolting, and the ad that Robot sent me was (laughs) fucking terrible. Well, first I... First, to be fair, I said, will you design an ad? And you were like, I'm a terrible graphic designer. I can't possibly do it. And I said, oh, yeah. So then I made one and sent it to you. And your first thought was what? This is it's bad. I mean, it's like, <laughs> but but not. But I mean, like, I like bad. I like fanzine bad. I like clip art, you know, like, oh, get a get a like 50s a white fifties dad looking guy with a pipe in his mouth, you know, with his boy on his lap. And then you, he's got a book in his hand and then you Photoshop something into the book and the, and the caption says, fuck you, Billy or whatever, you know, like that stuff <laughs> yeah. to me is really, I think that's, but that's like the extent of my graphic ability. Uh, but the thing that you sent was just, 
It was just terrible. <laughs> so that I was mean, hot and, uh, garbage. You know, so yeah. But I didn't, you know, like I, 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 I just went into this thing. I worked on a flyer for this book release, and I worked on it for three hours, and I sent it to Chris McNally, who I'm doing the book with, and he replied with a thing that he said he'd done on his iPad and his phone in five minutes. And it was 100,000 times better looking than what I sent him. And he was like, and he just, he just banged it out. You know, like I, I can't, I can't do shit like intention with intention, uh, electronically visually. Um, that's just, that's a gift all on, you know, all by itself, one that I don't have, and one that clearly you you have even less of. No, I have. I have. I I don't have. I don't have it at all. Um, so the takeaways here are: one, I'm a writer. Uh, two, um, we 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 will have a cool magazine project coming out soon with our buddy Bob from Product of Bob Scales, and there's an excellent book coming out. Uh, that you and Chris are doing. Yeah, real soon. We've got a, uh, we have a release date. Um, we're going to, well, we're going to do a book signing in San Francisco on the 17th of March, and we're going to do a book signing in Seattle on the 24th of March. And I just booked my flight to the Bay Area yesterday. We're going to be at Mission Workshop on Mission Street uh, for the, for the signing on the 17th. And we're going to be at Peloton. It's called Peloton Cafe or just Peloton in Seattle on the 24th and the, the proprietors of Peloton said we will stock up on Rainier. So, uh, that's all I care about. We're good. Um, question two, uh, oh, and I'll probably, you know, I don't know when this one's going to be published. Hopefully it'll, I don't know. I don't really know what the time, uh, what the the timeline is of, of publishing podcasts, but I'm going to definitely be doing like a big push come March. Uh, if anybody, and then I'll have the books for sale. We'll have books for sale on the websites, various websites, uh, after the signings. But until then, we're just going to hold them off, hold on to them until we actually like can put them in people's hands physically. You know, it's art in progress, people. Art in progress. Save uh, your dollars, save your dollars, because you're going to want to spend them on this on this uh, bitch and art. Oh, you get it. Even if you don't like uh, like Steve Alvini. They released a copy of the big black record called headache in an etched yeah. metal box. And you get, there's like fireworks and photos and uh, condoms and all kinds of shit that was in this box. I think they, they made like 50 of them or a hundred of them or something like that. And I saw an interview with him one time and he's like, well, if you don't like the record, then at least you get a bunch of cool shit. <laughs> and um, you know, like I, I like that perspective and, and though I, I don't have an et- an etched metal box with fireworks and condoms to release the book in. Uh, you do get a cool patch. <laughs> <laughs> you get a so. cool patch and a handful of cat fur. Uh, <laughs> okay, right, question, question two. Yeah. How would you describe your creative habits, robot? Are you disciplined? Do you <laughs> grind out work? Or do you wait for inspiration to strike? Hmm. Um... I write every day, I'm, but I don't know that I'm very disciplined. I just do it every day. Mm-hmm. I, generally, my shit takes care of itself. If I'm riding bikes and putting hands on keyboard every day, then mostly I'm going to be okay. Yeah. What's your deal? Uh, 
I same, you know, if I'm not like working on, I really like having a, like a body of work that I, that I'm working on or like, I know, I know what I'm doing and I know this general outline of, uh, always with, with visual stuff. I don't, you know, the shit that I write, I don't write. I sort of keep a, a vague journal of observations or, you know, especially shit with sort of like the transition that my life has, has been in over the last couple of years. Um, just kind of just to get it out of my head. Um, yeah. but honestly, like I haven't had a body of work that I've been super excited about. Um, probably since 2008, I, I had a show in New York and I would like, I would be at work and I would be so excited to get home. And I would be thinking about things that I was going to make. And I would, it was just like, it was just nonstop. And it was a, it was a great show. It was a great body of work. It was a great show. I had great response. I sold a ton. I got written up in the times. Like it was fucking epic and nothing came of it. And, you know, talk about a Sisyphean effort. Like you put everything into this body of work for a year, maybe 14 months every day. And you love every bit of it, but it is, it's exhausting. And then you have a show and then you have this big party and then, and then, and then what? Like I always kind of want it to, to, to turn into something else. You know, I'm always kind of hoping that like, I'm going to get another show out of the deal. I'll collaborate with somebody. Somebody will want to make something with me, you know, uh, it's something to kind of, uh, uh, maintain that momentum. And it is a little bit, um, uh, makes my heart kind of heavy. You know, you put all this effort in this thing and then some of the pieces sell and you never see them again. And, and then you're like, go back to your empty studio. And now what kind of a, kind of a feeling. Um, but, uh, I have always continued to work. It's just that I haven't had any, like a real deep consistency. Um, and since having lost my studio, I've made my, my work has gotten much, 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 much smaller, even in, in scale and, and format. And that's fun. Like tiny drawings are kind of, that's sort of lighting a fire under me right now. Um, and so, you know, I, I just gotta, I gotta constantly, I gotta constantly work. Cause if I don't, I'll get, uh, what's the word I'll get complacent and, and I don't want to do that. You know, I just get depressed. I get depressed if the stuff doesn't, if I, if I'm not, if I'm not doing, if I'm not making new work. I, well, that's yeah. tricky. That's tricky too, because if I'm making new work and I don't like it, I get depressed if I don't make it. And at least I'm thinking about cool shit. Like that's something. Yeah, I know. I buy that. I mean, one thing that I know is that I will write something that I think is some of my very best work and it gets, you know, a yawn and like next from uh, whoever reads it. And then I write something that I think is pretty throwaway and they're like, oh, man, this thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, we've, we've so, definitely we've definitely talked about that before. Yeah. So, so what I, what I know is I can't write things that I find satisfying if I'm not, if I don't keep going. 
and I can't write things that other people find satisfying if I don't keep going. So, I mean, I would rather write something that I think is good and have people sort of shrug than do the write something banal and boring that other people like. But whatever. I mean, I'm just going to make like just keep going. Just, I just have to keep going. And that's just it. That's it. I just have to keep going. So I'm disciplined in that way, or I really try to be disciplined in that way. If two or three day, days go by and I haven't written something, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but a lot of times I'm grinding, I'm grinding, like I'm not inspired. I'm just like scraping at whatever's in front of me to try to make something from it. And that's the, that's the creative process. You know, like, I, yeah. I know that's like, a, it's just, it's a painfully obvious thing for me to say. And I'm not, you know, I, I don't pretend that I just made some amazing revelation with that, but you kind of, well, I like to think about my, my friend Pete, he's a guy that I went to school with. Um, and he didn't make stuff for years and he built this big, amazing house out of an old dilapidated cabin uh, in Gilroy. And, and he, re, he, he sort of repurposed the interior. So the interior of his cabin has moss growing on it, you know, from like this old... The internal structure is basically what the internal structure was. And then he built this whole big, beautiful house around the old footprint. Mm. And he had this huge screen printing studio and his... In it, like in the barn and he said at one point we we're talking i think he's he's kind of saying like i just feel like sort of like i'm a fraud um and i said are you thinking about it and he said i'm always thinking about it i'm always thinking about what i'm going to do and what i want to do and it made me realize like you don't necessarily have to have your hands on the thing all the time in order to be um fully engaged in the process because thinking about it and honing it and tuning it, I mean, but Duchamp put a toilet on a pedestal and that's art. Like who the fuck is to say what's art and what's, what's not. And maybe somebody has gone through their entire life thinking about art that they want to make. And that by itself, it makes them an artist. You know, I, I don't necessarily buy that. <laughs> But I love that um, Pete, you know, he was a little me. frustrated by the fact that he wasn't, his hands weren't, you know, dirty all the time and he wasn't actually producing stuff. But the fact that he was plotting made me feel better about the, the quiet parts of my own process. I guess that's all. Absolutely. Like, even in my paid work, uh, with the people that ask me to, to do things, they'll say, oh, can we do this? And I'll turn out a thousand words in like half an hour and they're like what how the hell did you do that and i'm like oh that was already written in my head mm-hmm. like i've been writing it in my head for three days like i don't actually spend a ton of time with my hands on the keyboard like uh should a the go here or an and or you know like i'm not I'm not like that. I like most of the, my writing is in my head when I sit down and then the part where I sit down and write it is just where it's like, that's just working it out. That's not becomes physical. How many times do you read when you write something? How many times do you read it out loud 
to just sort of try to or read it to your wife or your kids or your dog or whatever, where you just you, it's almost you're trying to listen to it or read it objectively. Every you know? time. Every time. All like Every like time. endlessly, right? Endlessly. Yeah, a lot of and sometimes I when I don't do it, I will I'll either publish it or send it out or whatever. And then I read and and a lot of times people will like it. And then I go back and read it. I'm like, oh, no, 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 that doesn't sound right. Right. Because I do think that. When we read things, we read them to ourselves. Right. Exactly. I used to. uh, Joe Parkin was the editor of a road bike uh, sort of sister publication of bike magazine called Paved for a few years. And I had an article that a monthly feature in that I think through the entire duration of the magazine's existence. And, um, I used to send him five drafts every issue. Like I would say, I would write it and I would read it and I would read it and read it and read it and read it and send it off. And then a few days later I would read it again. I'd be like, Oh fuck. (laughs) <laughs> and then I would rewrite it and I would send it. And so like every time I think he knew that the deadline, my deadline was a little bit different. Like he would tell me the deadline, but the deadline was actually like a couple weeks later than that because yeah. inevitably and every subject line, every like email, I'd be like, no, seriously, this is actually the one. Right. And we did this, you know, for years <laughs> it, it, because I can, you know, and now I don't have it. Like I read it to my, I read these things to myself and I read it and read it and read it. And it's so much easier if I have somebody to read it to, which I don't. So that sort of adds to the, um, I don't know, changes the dynamic, makes it a little bit more complicated. Well, given that we're on an hour, Let's go to the would you rather, because the would you rather may contain someone that you could read your work to. (laughs) Uh, Okay. And and like you said at the beginning, like this, like we, we have gotten into, we've gone down some pretty gross rabbit holes with the would you rather, because I think those are hilarious uh, people. As do uh, I. People, I guess some people don't. So this one is not gross at all. And, um, and uh, you know, we're learning. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we'll do gross ones and sometimes we'll do not gross ones. I like to keep people on their toes. Uh, so would you rather, would you rather have a cat that lives on your head like a hat and you can't leave the house without them or you have to pay for everything all the time and change rolls of quarters, stacks of dimes. Your pockets are loaded with change. You have a, you got, you know, you went out to breakfast and you got a nice scramble and a bloody Mary and maybe that's going to be, you know, $28. You got to, I would take the hat, man. <laughs> no Venmo <Fuck> for you. <laughs> I would love to cruise around with my a cat on my head. That'd be dope. But if you had a cat on your head, first of all, in the summer, that would be very sweaty. Don't care. Second of all, and I know you love cats, so this is, I, I kind of factored this in, but no bike helmet ever again. Don't care. Oh. Probably no. that guy, that guy with the cat on his head. That's you now. How long do I have a cat on my head for the rest of my life? Yeah, I guess I'd get used to it. 
can I take can I can I take them off like 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 I set them down like I take my hat off and I set it down when I go into a restaurant. I don't wear my hat inside at restaurants. I take my hat off. You do? Yeah. What up? It's fucking manners, man. Emily Emily Knievel Post. Like what? Yeah. I don't like that. I've always that's just what you do. You don't wear, you don't wear your hat. You don't wear your hat at the table. I probably do. You probably do because you're. I you're grew goddamn, up in Alabama. You're I think goddamn it's okay. heathen. Yeah. Uh, so no, you're going to live the rest of your life with a cat on your head, and I'm going to just be busting out <laughs> rolls of quarters. <laughs> I love the idea of having a cat on my head. I bet it'd be like a <laughs> it'd be like a little tabby. It's not like a big fat Maine Coon because that would be really hard on your neck. It would be something that they'd have to physically fit on my head, and maybe I would have like um. Uh, like the, like a cupcake thing, you know, that was like, it would kind of keep the cat contained because yeah. they'd just be curled up there and sleeping. And Or maybe like with those baskets they put on elephants backs yeah. to ferry people around, you'd have one of those for your cat. I'd be, I'd be fine with this. And then you'd have someone to read your work to. And then people would be like, oh, who's Steve? Who's Steve? Oh, he's a guy with a cat on his head. Oh yeah, what I've a, seen that guy. What about right? your friends that are allergic to cats? I guess I wouldn't hang out with them anymore. No, this hmm. is—I don't have any problem with this. And no, that's really interesting. So I sent this over to you, and I was kind of like, "I'm not—I don't know about this." Would you rather? And you're like, "No, this one is great." I like this one <laughs> because I love cats, and I love the idea of having one on my head all the time. Oh wow! Yeah, I, wish... I might make a little cushion. I would just be, I'd be fine. <laughs> I'd be fine with this. Uh, fuck. Okay. Uh, well, there, there we go. Uh, robot changes, pay, uh, pays for everything with change, and I have a little cat on my head. And I, I would name him Steve. Uh, All right. St- you would name him Steve? Yeah, nobody knows. I don't know. Who, who are you talking to? Are you talking to me or are you talking to the cat that's on my head? Uh, thanks for listening to Revolting. Subscribe to this stupid thing, please. Subscribe to the Cycling Independent. Help us pay rent. Help us make a living. We promise we won't buy Teslas and Bitcoins. So, as always, on behalf of Revolting and the Cycling Independent, I'm Steve. And I'm Robot. Don't forget to suck on me.